0: Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord. I pray, Father, as we enter into this time, Lord, that we would be able to focus on you and for all the um, many blessings that you've given us, God. And um, we are made worthy through you and through the sacrifice of your son. And we are forever grateful, God. And so, Father, we offer this time to you, Father. And we pray that, um, Father, it would be received in the manner that is offered. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh and-
1: Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. Father, we do pray, God, that you would help us with our unbelief, Lord. Help us, O Holy Spirit, to, to believe. Father, to know that your words are true. That you're not man, that you would lie. <coughs> Father, we thank you that there is freedom. And freedom that is found only in Christ. Our solid foundation. Our hope that's in Christ will never disappoint us. No matter what this life is throwing our way. That God, that we can stand with the assurance that you are for us and not against us. That you love us. Father, your word declares that your love endures Forever. And that uh, Father, you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son Jesus. The Word says that you first loved us. <coughs> Yet though we were in complete rebellion towards us, God, you loved us. So, Father, as we open your Word this morning, I pray, God, that we would be encouraged. I pray that our hearts would be the good soil that receives. I pray, God, that our lives would continue to be transformed into your image, into your likeness, Father. As we take every thought captive and we bring into the obedience of Jesus Christ, your word says, how are we to be transformed? Father, it's by the renewing of our mind. That you change the way we think. That we come into an agreement, an alignment with your truth. We pray, oh God, that we would be faithful stewards of all that you've entrusted us with, God. That we would go forth into this world, Father. Being the burning lights, Father. God, that we would go into this world and see the need in this world, Father, and that we would serve as you came to do. That we wouldn't live lives just so focused on ourselves, but God, that we would truly know what it is to be a Christian, to serve and to love others. Even when they have wronged us, even when they have, Father, come against us, God, that we would be able to stand as you stood and still love. So mature us, Father. Help us, Holy Spirit, to continue to grow up. Help us, Father, that as the world grows darker that we would grow brighter. That we would not be enslaved to sin or enslaved to fear. But that we will walk by faith and not by sight. That our lives, O oh God, would be laid down. And that we would make your name known. And we would honor you, God, in all that we say and do. Increase our hunger and our thirst, O oh God, for righteousness. For your name's sake. So that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. On this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, Amen. Romans chapter 12 is where we're heading. Again, we're taking a detour from our walking through the Bible. And we are going to look at a life lived. (laughs) One that's lived out. One that has surrendered itself to Christ so that that life can be sent. That our heart's cry would be, Send me, O God. We understand in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, when Isaiah was commissioned to go, verse 8 says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Let me ask you this morning, if you're sitting here today and you're calling yourself a Christian, can you say those words? Here I am, Lord, send me. So many times we make this Christian life so much about us but the truth is it's all about him so when you came to Christ you laid your life down Jesus is is very clear when he teaches his disciples that those who are truly his those that truly belong to him understand the call of a disciple Lay down their lives. There's a pick up their cross, their cross, and to follow him. Are you going where he has sent you? Or are you still in rebellion towards him? Are you still so self consumed that you're missing out on the need around you? There will be some that will go overseas. But not everyone's going overseas. You can go right here. Into your school, into your workplace, into the grocery store, into your communities. You can go, Lord, here I am, send me. When you awoke this morning, what was your first thought? It should be on Christ. And the need of those around you that He is sending you to. Because you are His ambassador he's given us. If you are a Christian, you're sitting here this morning, he is giving you the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says each of us have the same ministry. We're to go out and reconcile others to Christ because we understand the freedom that we have found in Christ. Our position is in Christ. We're no longer in this world. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer enslaved to the insecurities and everything that tries to rule us. <coughs> no, we are now a slave to righteousness, right living. Doesn't mean you're going to do everything right, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But what it does mean <coughs> is that you understand the price that was paid for you. Like He has purchased you, you belong to Christ. And He doesn't force you to follow Him. He doesn't force you to love Him. But what He has done is He has given us the example of what it is to love. No greater love than this that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Christ did for us. And in return, that's what He calls us to What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. In and of yourself, you can't. But when you get a revelation of Christ, when you get a revelation of this perfect love, that He came to redeem you, that He came despite everything you've gone through, everything you've done, He loves you, He has come to redeem you, To bring you back to the Father, your Creator. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your insecurities. He knows the blatant rebellion and sin that is within your heart. And yet He says, I love you. Come out of that now. I've made a way. Listen, the Bible says that we shouldn't be like the pigs that that turn back to, to the pig pen. But we shouldn't be the dog that returns back to its vomit and laps it up. No, you're not to go backwards when you've come to Christ. You're not to stay stuck. No, you're to get up. Get up each and every single day and take take a new step forward. Take a new step forward. Take a new step forward. Even throughout your day, when you mess up, get up and take another step forward. You're to be moving forward. You're to keep persevering. You're to keep striving. It's the goodness of Christ, you all. It's the goodness of Christ. It's His love that endures forever. It's when you get a glimpse of Him and His holiness and who He is, it it compels you to say, Lord, here I am, send me. I want others to know that there is hope. (laughs) People are dying. And you say, Rob, you say this every week, and I will say it until I take my last breath. Because when I think about those who are perishing, and ending up in an end, in eternal hell. It grips my heart. Because I remember the days how I used to live. And the mercy that God had. That I didn't die in the midst of my rebellion. When I think about the eternal hell. That I was spared from. Because of such great love. Each of us deserves to be there each of us we were born as sinners into sin we are in rebellion in that nature towards towards a holy God and yet God understands that condition and he says I will send my son to redeem my people remember I've always encouraged you from Genesis to Revelation you wanna know God you wanna understand his purpose It's to have a people that he will call his own and that they will call him their God. That they will live for him. That they will honor him. In the midst of their generation, when the generation is wicked and vile and perverse, that there would still be a people upon this earth throughout every generation that will still claim him as their God and that they will live for him. How are you living for him among this generation? How are you living? If you're calling yourself a Christian, how are you living among your generation, revealing the goodness and the, and the awesomeness and the holiness of your God? Yes. Do people see it in you? Do people see it in you? Do they see Him in you? They ought to. Listen to this quote. From A.W. Tozer. This is from years ago. The church has lost her testimony. She has no longer anything to say to the world. Her once robust shout of assurance has faded away to an apologetic whisper. She who one time went out to declare now goes out to inquire. Her dogmatic declaration has become a respectful suggestion. A word of religious advice, given with, uh, uh, with the understanding that it is, after all, only an opinion, and not meant to sound bigoted. But you see, pure Christianity, instead of being shaped by its culture, actually stands in sharp opposition to it. Did y'all hear those words? He said in his day that the church has lost her testimony. That she no longer goes out and declares the gospel. But now she goes out to seek and to inquire of the world. She no longer stands up and boldly declares the gospel. No, now she she settles down and says, I don't want to offend you. Let me make it easier for you. But listen, y'all, that's not the church. And you've heard me say over and over to you, as the time keeps approaching to His return, it's going to grow darker and darker, because that's what the Word of God says. That people will become even more lovers of themselves, selfish, disobedient, seeking for their own desires and wants and catering to it and the church she should be burning bright she should know who she belongs to and not be tainted she shouldn't be whoring herself out she's not to be an adulterous woman she's to keep herself pure until he turns for her holy holy Set apart, not chasing the things of this world, not seeking the things of this world. And when I keep hearing over just the past couple weeks what is institutional church is doing to the gospel, I go, oh God, wake us up. <laughs> when I hear that the church, the institutional church, is telling their preachers overseas that they can't call God a He. And they can't call him Lord, oh lest it offends people. <clears throat> when I hear that, a, that, a, that a, <laughs> a man of God supposedly is saying to pray for a four-year-old boy who belongs to Prince William and his wife Kate, to pray that he would end up being gay, to help the cause of the gay a movement. I go what on earth? When I see churches and preachers strip the gospel and do not it doesn't bold and they don't boldly declare it, but they strip it to make Jesus someone that he's not. I go, "Oh God, help us." Listen, as the church, we don't hate the world. We don't judge the world. The Bible says they stand judged already. We don't hate the world. Though they will twist our words, and they will say, well, what you're preaching and what you're saying is hate, they will twist it. But the reality of Christ's truth, the reality of Christ's love is not hate. It's freedom. It's hope. But when one just looks at the temperfulness of this life, And that's all that they see. They want a temporal God to meet their needs. But that's not the God who redeems and saves. That's not the God who calls us out of this world. That's not (laughs) the God who cleans us up and then makes us his representative on this earth and says, now go. Be the light in the dark world. No, we can go out into the world and we can boldly declare the truth. But in that, Boldly love. Boldly love. Because you can't. Declare the truth. If you don't love. I remember Norma years ago. When I said to her. It was right over here. Norma love wins. Overall love wins. You can go your way, you can do whatever you want, but love wins. I never once held truth or watered down truth around her, nor would I ever do it around you all. Love wins, because she sits here today, a changed woman. One, going from wanting to kill me to one who loves me. Going to the darkest places to get her because I loved her. Because that's what Christ would do. Getting the phone call, come get her. I could have said no could have. I could have said, no, I'm tired of of doing it over and over. (laughs) Leave her be. (laughs) Let her go her way. But love compelled me to go. Remember that night? Love compelled me to go into the uttermost darkest place and tell the very one, i would have nothing more than to put a bullet in my head? You're coming with me. Because there's a better way, Norma. There's a better way. What if I would have watered down the gospel to her? What if I made Jesus someone that he isn't? She would still be enslaved. She would still be enslaved. Who are you all going after? How is the love of Christ compelling you to go? People are dying. People are lost. People are deceived. Rather it's in your school, rather it's in your job, rather it's in the grocery store, rather you go overseas, rather it's just in your own community. Who are you compelled to go and to win for Christ? By loving them and telling them the truth. If you love them and you don't tell the truth, you actually aren't loving them. You can serve them all day long. But if you're not not telling them the truth, that's not really love. That's codependency. That's something weird. (laughs) Because it will never bring anything out from them, from their lives. They will always be needing on you. And that's a sickness. That's a sickness. No, what people need is for you to love them and for you to tell them the truth. They need you to tell them the truth. They need you to love them just what Christ did Christ never watered down who he is he came for a purpose to advance the kingdom of God are you advancing the kingdom of God are you you should be and if you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian you have to ask yourself why aren't you when the love of Christ has been revealed to you over and over and over and over why haven't you accepted him? what keeps you from surrendering your life to Christ? what keeps you from growing and maturing? what keeps you? each of us will have to give an account to him each of us will stand before him and you can, will not, none of you sitting in this room will be able, when you stand before him on that day, say, I didn't know. No, you knew. You just chose not to go his way. You chose, you were hoping to get the benefits of the kingdom. <laughs> that's not happening. It's not happening. Oh, but the world is, 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 is it's, it's more fun. The things, I, I feel more fulfilled. Whatever your excuses. Oh, I just, I've done so, I've done wrong. And so then we try to stay away from Christ because we're just not good enough. Oh, you never will be. That's why you need Him. But He will satisfy you. Beyond your wildest belief, He will satisfy you. That you won't need to keep longing for this world. You don't need to keep going your way. Like surrendered your life and you say, but then what do I do? Learn to live now. Because all you're good at doing is dying. Making a mess of things. That's all we know to do in our flesh. Is to make a mess of things. Y'all understand that? Like it has been said over and over to us. Do you understand that that which is within you, that is not submitted to Christ, is the flesh? it is it is you to the core and there's nothing good about it it would only seek for itself it would only desire the things of itself and the very things of itself is death it drags you to death think about that that's what you're giving yourself to to your flesh to confusion to chaos to disorder, to filth, to lust, to pleasure, to trying to fix everything in your own strength, or yoking yourself up with those you think can fix you, finding some sense of wholeness or purpose in the temporalness of life. That's all the flesh has for any of us. But Jesus comes and says, Here I am, child. I love you. Stop going your way. Start coming my way. I love you with an everlasting love. I've given you my Holy Spirit. He will keep you until the day that I return. Follow Him. Follow Him. So each day we get up and we're growing. But how many of you actually really took time this week or this morning to grow as a Christian? Are you abiding in Christ? <coughs> <coughs> Are you in fellowship? Are you in prayer? Are you in study? <coughs> it's not because you have to know; because you long to. Because if I don't do it, all I know is to go back my old way. But you can't be sent if you're going backwards he can't be sent listen to romans 12 here and so dear brothers and sister this is paul pleading to us inspired by the holy spirit he says and so dear brothers and sisters i plead with you to give your bodies to god because all that he has done for you Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. And look at verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How does he transform you by changing the way you think? If you're still thinking like you used to, you're not being transformed. And then you have to ask yourself, why would I choose to continue to go back to my vomit? And wrap it up. When God is saying, I've got something better for you. It's not the ways of this world. It's not the ways of this world. It's my way. Let me show you how to live life to its fullest. There is a purpose, you all, for your life. You're not an accident. No matter what your parents may have said, no matter what you may think, you're not an accident. Each of you was planned and purposed by God. He formed you. He created you. He has prepared good works for you to do in your generation for His glory. For His glory. And so we are to submit ourselves to Him. Like He changes us. You are a new creation. Listen to that. He goes on, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. And listen, he's talking about the church, you all. I know we like to intertwine, you know, faith with all faiths and we're all one. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When we're talking about this unity, when we see what Paul is talking about, he's talking about the church. The collective members of the church of Christ. he goes on in his grace god has given us different gifts for doing certain things well so if god has given you the ability to prophesy speak out with as much faith as god has given you if your gift is serving serve them well or serve others well if you are a teacher teach well if your gift is to encourage others be encouraging if it is giving give generously If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Each of you are gifted. We're all gifted differently. But whatever gift he has given you, serve him and serve others with it cheerfully. Cheerfully. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And dear friends, never take revenge. Lead that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. So instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And finally, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing what is good. Listen, this isn't a suggestion. <clears throat> This is how you're to be living. If you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're truly giving your life to Christ, this is how you're to be living. There's a lot of people who show up for church, but they're not following Christ. They're not Christians. And how sad. But this is the way in which you are to be living. Don't think of yourself so highly. Keep yourself humble, serve and love others. Uphold the truth. Allow your life to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, I told you all over and over before. My mind was such a mess before Christ. I was a mess. I was lost. Confused at a very young age. Making choices and decisions that affected me, affected my daughter. Doing things just trying to survive a hot mess in my mind. Coming from such brokenness. Being abused physically, mentally, sexually the majority of my life. Screwed up in my head. Didn't know anything but God knew me. And when I finally stopped and listened, he called my attention. And listen, I can't help but love him, you all. Have I felt him? Oh yeah. But I haven't stopped loving him. I get up and I pursue him. Will I fail him again? I'm sure I will. But I won't give up. I'll get up. And I'll pursue him. But not because of anything of me. But because of him. Like he says, you belong to me. You listen, such great love, you all. When I got up off that floor, after I gave myself to Christ in that condo, I had no clue what my life would end up being. But I trusted him.
2: I said, okay, God,
1: my life is no longer my own. I don't know how else to live. This is all I know. And all he said to me was, just trust me. I'll take care of you. And he has. I'm not suppressing feelings. (laughs) No, I've died to them. (laughs) All the craziness here has subsided with the fullness of who Christ is. I don't go this way any longer. I go this way. I don't go to touch that. No, I touch this. I don't go just, I'm not free to say whatever I want. No, I'm free to allow the Holy Spirit to tame my tongue. And you just learn. You just get up. But some of us haven't even gotten up. Some of you just want the kingdom without the king. But you can't first the king in all of his glory like Jesus you all he is real he's not a figment of someone's imagination he's just not a teaching oh just something else you'll try no he is who he is he is truth <coughs> Jesus says I am the way I am the truth I am the life there's no other way to the father except through me oh you can try every other faith out there but it'll leave you empty, broken. Because the only faith that has hope is Christian faith. It's the faith that is in Christ. Not making yourself good, not striving and trying to be good. That's not the Christian faith. No, you are good because of Christ. Let that settle in. When you see the fullness of who He is and you go, Jesus. You want others to know Him. You can't help but ask him to send you. I want others to know of his goodness, of his love, of his mercy. Like Jesus, you all. Paul is reminding them here. Be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. Go to Acts chapter 24. And when we get our study through Acts, hopefully some of you will remember this. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite portions of scriptures. Paul is meeting with the Ephesians' elders. He's, a, he's about to move on, but he's meeting with them. And these are his final words to him. To them. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 through 32. Listen to what Paul says here. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. There's no other value found in this life. You want to know your worth? Live truly for Christ. Tell others of the good news. Let that become your passion. Let that become your desire. Get up from yourself. Get up from yourself. Die to self. Pick up your cross and follow Him, you all. There's work to be done. You've heard me say over and over that the harvest is plentiful because that's what the Word of God says, but the laborers are few. There's not many of us going. There's not many of us getting out there, just living a Christian life among others. But oh God, raise us up so that you, 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 and you can go. No matter where you're at, just live. Love and tell truth. Serve. Yes, they're not going to like you. Yes, there will be some that would rather you be dead than for you to be around them. Yes, you're going to look different than them. And yes, you're not going to do the same things that they do. But that's okay. Because you're no longer clinging to the temporalness of life. You are now living the fullness of life. My life is not my own. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I remember when I was doing street ministry up in Athens, Georgia, and going to some of the darkest places in that city, being told by others, oh don't go there. But I knew that's where God was sending me to go. To be able to love these people. That in and of myself I wouldn't love. But just to go, to pray, to be available. To meet with people. I was invited to go to an African-American church. And I remember the youth pastor telling me, I want you to come. And I want you to speak to these kids who the majority of their, of their parents are either locked up or strung up on drugs. But I need to let you know something. You're a white man. They may not take to you. I showed up at that church. And I prayed for these youth. That God just let me love them. I didn't want to hear uh, the warning from the pastor. That they weren't going to take to me because I'm a white man. Because God, I don't want them to take to me. God, I want them to take to you. So just let me love them. Let me see them as you see them, because they're young kids who desperately need to hear of a father who loves them. And I remember after preaching and sharing with them, after as a pastor, where they, were, they were like blown away. They were like, they had never sat still for any speaker. And then they had lunch for me and for Yoda, and just the opportunity to interact with them this I'm just trying to encourage you all don't let yourself or the things about you, your characteristics or whatever hinder you from where God wants to call you just go be available be available to all communities to the Muslim community to the gay community to to the drunken community <laughs> To the drug addicts, to the, to the broken, to the prostitutes, you name it. To whatever community that's out there. Because you're no different than they, and you were no different than they are. You were once where they were, or where they are. You're no longer there. But you have hope to give them. And for those who will receive it will receive. For those who don't, won't. You're just your your purpose is just to go, serve and love. That's why again we don't hate the world. We remember we were once of it. We know what it's like to be there, so we have a passion to go as Christ had a passion to see them reconciled back to the Father. Paul is about to leave these elders, and he says that my life is worth nothing. To me, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. He's preached the kingdom. He's preached the gospel. He knows he will never see these fellow believers again. And he says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. Wow. That's how solid Paul was in his convictions for preaching the gospel. That there's no one on my watch that if they suffer eternal death, if they end up in hell, oh, it's not my fault. I've done what I was called to do, I've preached the good news. I've shared about the kingdom of God. He goes, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you. After I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. My constant watch and care over you night and day and many, my many tears for you. He's warning them. There's going to come in false teachers. There's even going to be men who are among us who will, who will come up And try to draw a following that will follow them and not Christ. Be careful of pastors and preachers and ministries that want you just to follow them. It's not about them, it's about Christ. Careful of the teachings that you're listening to that gives you the right to self. Because ultimately it drags you away from Christ, it drags you away from truth. He says, and now I entrust to you, I entrust you to God and the message of His grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all of those that He has set apart for Himself. Now, if you highlight or if you circle Scripture, highlight and circle that because it is (laughs) God who sets man apart for Himself. It's God's will. I have never coveted it. I'm sorry. Let me just read that one more time. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all of those that he has set apart for himself. Entrusted to God and to his grace. Remember what grace is. It's the power to transform. It's not a license to keep sinning. It's interesting, you all. You've heard me say it over and over. But each of us are going to take our last breath one day. Each of us are, are, are going to face the fact that in the end, you'll have to stand before a living God. And listen to this quote here from David Briner. Here I am, send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the, rough, to the rough, savage, lost in the wilderness. Send me from all that is called, I'm sorry, send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself. If it be but in your service, it to promote your kingdom. Send me. Send me out. Send me to death, Lord. If it will promote your kingdom. And so be it. Listen, we're all dying. And I know, maybe you don't want to hear it, but I'm telling you, that's what I'm passionate about, because people are dying. And when you're on your deathbed, when I think about the four people down in Tampa who were shot in the back, when I think about The catastrophes that are taking place. When I think about the three-year-old little baby girl whose mother's boyfriend murdered. When I think about the death that is taking place all around us. When I think about the young mother right up the street here in that trailer park standing and cooking dinner for her son. Someone shooting out in the woods. Shot her. Her son gets out of the shower and finds his mother dead. You're here for one second you're gone the next. And we want to laugh. We want to stay caught up in our chaos and our unruly lives. We want to stay enslaved to our sin because it feels good to us. Well, then stay enslaved to it. But understand, you'll give an account. And it better have been worth it. It better be worth it. It better be worth it. Because... It's granting you hell. An eternity separated from a loving God. Not because he's a mean old God who sends people to hell. No, he loves you enough that says, listen, if that's how you want to continue to live, then live that way. See, he loves you enough to let you keep living how you want to live. He's not going to force you to love him. He is not going to to come down and force you to love him. No, you have to choose to love him. He is revealing himself to mankind throughout this earth. He is revealing himself. Such great love. And yet, and yet, there will be those who will say, no thank you. I'll keep doing it my way. It's your choice. But I want to close today with a testimony that we're going to watch of a man who, by everything of his upbringing and everything of who he was, should not be a Christian. But God stepped in. And God is using this <laughs> man in an incredible way. So I want you to hear his testimony. And I want you to think about upon what we're talking about today, going, saying, God, here I am. Send me. Listen, life is not all fun and games, you all. There's an urgency to this hour. Look at the world. Look at what's going on. There's an urgency. It's getting darker. The pleasure, the love of many is growing more and more. People are so self-absorbed with themselves. They want everything for themselves. Let me be who I want to be and do what I want to do and screw you. That's the attitude. Don't tell me. Listen. If you're a Christian, it's time to get serious. Stop playing a weird religious game. Because in the end, you're no different than those who are lost. There's a lot of people who will stand before him and, the, and when they stand before him and says, well, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And he's going to say, I don't know you. You are a worker of sin. You are someone who was so self-consumed with themselves that I don't know you. Depart from me. Like, Depart from me. Separate yourself from me. You're not coming in. To my kingdom he's faithful in how he judges he knows your heart he knows your heart but there will be those who will stand before them when they take their last breath they go say well done my good and faithful servant enter in to my rest to my kingdom see that's eternity and i want you to hear this man's story he is in the midst of hell and yet he's proclaiming the good news <sighs>
2: I was born in 1966 in Beirut, Lebanon, to a uh, Palestinian father and a Lebanese mother. Uh, my father was uh, uh, born in Gaza, and uh, after Israel occupied the land, uh, he enrolled in the resistance against Israel. And uh, started carrying operations from Jordan, and so he got in trouble with the Jordanian government, and he had to leave Jordan and go to Lebanon, and there he met my mother and they got married and then he left before I was born. Uh, my mom uh, had to work day and night, so in practically speaking I was a street kid. Uh, I was always on the streets and I would just come home to sleep. Uh, in the neighborhood where I was, there was an evangelical church, and the uh, teachers of Sunday school in that church used to go around the streets and call children to come in and uh, attend Sunday school. Uh, so I was one of the guys they invited. And for a street kid, uh, he's always looking for attention. So uh, I uh, accepted the invitation and came in. And Sunday school turned out to be a nice place for me, (laughs) Because there they tell you stories, you can color, they give you toys. You can eat cake and have juice. And it's it's a good place for a street kid to have a, a good time. And so since I was six, I remember... Attending Sunday school regularly every Sunday. Uh, it was, it's like going to church uh, for any uh, church goer. And to me, Sunday morning was sacred. I need to go to Sunday school. There I have a good time. And uh, uh, this was going on until I was 14 years old. At the age of 14, I was ready to meet my Savior. Now, uh, two years before that, questions were starting to arise about where is God, who is God, why I'm a Muslim, where is my father. Uh, You have to understand the background that I was living in. I was living next to the American University of Beirut at a time when there there were revolutions going everywhere, communism rising, uh, the Cold War was at its peak. Already uh, there was an israeli uh, Arab conflict in 1973 A peace was looming in the, uh, in the on the horizon. People were talking students were talking. It was really a time where uh, easily you can mature on the streets being on the street and uh, mingling with the uh, uh, university student made me really mature quickly and at the age of twelve, yes. I was asking critical questions. At that age, uh, I turned to Islam being a Muslim. And especially my family, uh, you know, on my mother's side, uh, they are all uh, scholars, Islamic scholars. So uh, I started reading the Quran, I started taking Quranic lessons in order to find uh, certain answers to questions I had, uh, but to no avail. Nothing was there for me. I didn't find hope. I I was more confused more Uh, there were a lot of contradictions that I could not accept and uh, Also remember I was free to think I Was not under any influence of a father or mother to tell me Don't think like this or this is not right what you're talking about I was a free thinker. I could ask questions. I could doubt and, and I had no problem And so it was at that time, also, I was going to church and attending Sunday school. And uh, at the age of 14, after hearing the gospel for six years and more, uh, just things clicked. I found the truth as if the Lord opened my eyes to see my uh, state exactly and to give me answers to why I am like this why I was like this why did my father leave me why there are wars around why is the world the way it is and I realized it is uh, my sinfulness my parents sinfulness uh, the world around us uh, that brings misery and suffering to people and uh, it was Christ who's the answer It's that message of love that God has unfolded through the pages of history to us. And so I remember on a Sunday in 1979, the Sunday school teacher asking us in Sunday school class who wants to accept Jesus as his personal Savior? And I felt like raising my hand, but there were too many friends of mine who were Muslim. Uh, and i didn't want to you know risk it and i said no i'm not going to do it now but uh, deep down i was there this is it i could not resist anymore and i went home and i could not sleep that night and i would fidget in my bed and my bed was uh, a bag of cloth plastic bag of cloth And every time I move, I make all kinds of sounds. And I was afraid to wake up my mom. We all slept in one room. And uh, around 3 o'clock, I remember in the morning, I just said, Lord Jesus, please help me. I am desperate. I am helpless. I am hopeless. I cannot take it anymore. I need you. And with tears at that time, and then within half an hour, I slept. And I woke up in the morning excited, and I took one of the many New Testaments I had. I mean, after eight years of attending Sunday school, you gather, collect a lot of New Testaments. I took one and put it in my school bag, and went to school, and started telling people about my experience. And I could not be quiet. It was Jesus all the way. I mean, on the street, in school, at work, in the house, Jesus, Jesus, and... People were saying, did this, this guy flip or something happened to him? Did he fall from his bed at night? Or uh, everybody was wondering why this was happening. I was on fire at that time, and uh, I couldn't be quiet. I had to talk. I had to tell people what happened with me, the change. Uh, uh, I think, uh, and I can understand people, uh, children who were raised in Christian homes and churches, uh, and wherever I go and speak to the I tell them, please do not miss out on meeting the real Jesus. Not the, the one that your papa and mama told you about. Uh, have the experience I had. You know, it was just, just life changing. It was uh, a time where beyond comprehension what was happening in my life. Uh, there was uh, joy overflowing. I felt at rest, I felt at peace, Uh, all the answers came to the questions that made my life a dilemma and were traumatizing me, because being raised without a father is traumatizing to you. And if, if you don't find the answer why this happened in God, you cannot understand. And I understood why, because God wanted to save me. God had a plan everything worked for good uh, uh, eternal good not earthly good and while I was lost in my livelihood that it's not good and I had no father God was really interested in my eternal good and the joy that I experienced in meeting Jesus was much greater than having a father at that time and so from there on it was Jesus all the time And that got me in trouble, Uh, definitely speaking on and on uh, got me in trouble with my parents. They had to kick me out and say, it's either the church or the house, it's either Christ or us. And uh, I was so in love with Jesus, uh, I didn't have difficulty making choice. Uh, It was Jesus all the time and I had to leave the house and go live in a warehouse where I used to work. Uh, the owner of the warehouse knew about what happened, and he said, "Mohammed, you can empty a room, uh, pack it in another room, and take one room and fix it and sleep in it as long as you want and uh, Later, I got in trouble with fundamentalists because I was always speaking about jesus and who's this Muhammad that is uh, preaching about jesus that 's evangelizing about jesus and uh, they were after my tale, uh, they tried to kill me one time uh, they had no success uh, my pastor had to take me to his village uh, he was from a village in a biblos area it's called munsif and he would put me in a boarding school there for 6 months to hide me and then uh, after that i came back and still i went back to talking and i couldn't be quiet and he tell me be quiet and i cannot be quiet everywhere t- i go Uh, The opportunity is there. I tell people, about Jesus. Uh, I invite people to church. I start ministering to children. And uh, until 1985, towards the end of 1985, uh, I was in the evangelical school in Beirut. And there was a teacher there. He was a member of our church. And together we used to go out street evangelism. And they killed him. And the pastor said, you're next. I'm not going to allow this. So he made connections uh, with uh, friends of his in, in the States uh, in Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. And he said, I have a guy. His life is in danger. I need to ship him out, arrange for him something. And they arranged for me to come and attend a Bible school. And so in 1986, I flew to the U.S. I remember I came uh, through Heathrow Airport. I flew to London first, and uh, then from London, I flew to Philadelphia and Philadelphia down to greenville Spartanburg. That was the trip the first time in the United States of America it was in nineteen eighty six to uh uh pursue a biblical career you know to study Bible and maybe to uh, be uh, carry on pastoral studies or uh biblical uh, theology uh, but when i uh, started my first semester uh, i got all a's and uh, i thought that was too easy for me uh, and that's because early on uh, i was devouring the bible i mean i was reading my wor- god's word on a daily basis listening to messages i was Heavily involved in studying the Word of God. I'm reading books, a lot of books. And so I switched into business and uh, I pursued an accounting degree. And uh, in 1989, I took a BS in accounting. And uh, before my last semester, I was offered a job uh, by Arthur Anderson to work in New York, and then another job by Pricewaterhouse to go to Cairo since I knew Arabic. But uh, somehow the Lord uh, did not let me take these offers and did not let me stay uh, in the U.S. Uh, I felt I need to go back. I don't know why I felt I need to go back. Uh, At times, God uh, leads in in an awesome way, though everything here was ready for me to stay. I mean, uh, there was a girl I I was in love with. I could have gotten married to her and stayed. Uh, I could have taking these job offers, but somehow I went back. And when I went back in 1989, it was war in Lebanon. Everything was going berserk. And uh, the airport was closed. I had to fly to Cyprus and from Cyprus take the ship to Juni and from Juni drive to West Beirut. And I came and I found the church. Four or five people were meeting and mainly ladies and there was nothing going on. No church meetings, barely anything happening. So, Muhammad went back to his old days, preaching, evangelizing, visiting, ministering to people. And within a year, the church regrouped, and people were starting to come, and things were moving up in the world. And uh, the church grew. By 1991, 100 people were attending and uh, including uh, my mother-in-law and my wife. They came to the church uh, to attend. And uh, I remember meeting my wife on the basketball court and in 1985, and uh, we played hoop together. I used to go down to the American University of Beirut. She used to live on the campus of the American University of Beirut. Her father was power plant manager and as we were playing together I would always talk to her about Jesus and she said you're crazy with your Jesus I don't want to talk to you leave me alone and I was always evangelizing to her and then in 1991 she comes to church and with her mom and her mom invites her she came before her a few meetings and she says, come here this guy his name is Mohammed and he's preaching about Christ and he's leading the church and she came and she says I know this guy he was always bothering me with Jesus when I was playing basketball. And uh, a relationship developed there. And uh, she got saved, I think, uh, four months after started attending church. And then we dated for a year. And then we got married. Uh, the pastor came back at that time. And I handed the church over to him. And I went into business. Uh, being raised as a street kid and poor... There was always a desire in me to achieve, to prove myself. There was ambition and uh, I wanted to pursue that dream and I was trying to convince God of that dream. God, (laughs) since the day he saved me, he called me into the ministry. I knew that. He gave me the talent, he gave me the burden, uh, he gave me the vision to reaching out to people. But I refused to answer God's call. I wanted to do it my way. I said, I'll be a businessman and I will support the church and I will give to the poor and I will help missionaries. And in fact, in my early years in business, uh, at the age of 25, I had close to a half a million dollars between assets and cash and everything. And I had my own factory and store and I owned my own house in a good place in East Beirut. And uh, things were rolling for me. And I was giving to people. I was helping people. Uh, I mean, uh, there were times, a thousand dollars a month I would give out to people, between church and helping people. Uh, And I was trying to convince God that this is the way. And God was always telling me, I don't need your money. I don't need your intelligence. I don't need anything that you have. I need you to obey. Give me your heart. And that was difficult for me. Because there was a struggle and I was in love with business and I was in love with Jesus Uh, there was a conflict there and there was a struggle all the time in my life Uh, and uh, God was patient with me until 1995 he got the big stick out he says I love you too much and I have plans for you I'm not ready to leave you alone so he got the big stick out and I took a beating, big beating. And within years, few years, I lost everything. I was stripped naked. Uh, I was in debt. Uh, I went to prison because I went bankrupt. Uh, I was facing many lawsuits. I had all kinds of problems going on. And uh, after I went to prison for six months, I came out, and instead of answering God's call and repenting and saying, "Lord, that's what I want to do." is what you want me to do. I went back to business. I was hard-headed uh, as an ox. And uh, again, God gave me the talent. Uh, in a few years, I made money again. And I was paying some of my debts and at the same time building a business. And it was growing, and we were doing fine. Until 2008, uh, one day I was taking my children to school I dropped them at school and I used to go down jogging at the beach in Beirut and as I was jogging it just clicked again the same feelings the same uh, uh, situation I was in in 1979 when I got saved I was back again in in 2008 I felt How stupid I am, how foolish I am to relinquish serving the Lord for the world and for the profit that I can get from the world and the gains of this world. And I said, this is it. Finish. No more business. I went up to my wife and I said, honey, close shop, liquidate everything at a gain, at a loss. That's it. It's over. She said, what? Did you flip? Are you crazy? We have five children. What do you mean, close? How are we going to raise our children? How are we going to live? We have no income. I said, the Lord will provide. Just close it. She said, no, I'm not going to close it. I said, then you take care of it. I am not going to be in the shops. I'm not going to work one hour in the shops. I will be on the streets telling people about Jesus. This is what God wants me to do. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, I went out. And she started liquidating a little bit she liquidated until we had only one shop and that's the bookstore and she stayed in it and I was ministering on the streets and uh, doing street evangelism in Tripoli in Beirut in Juni in Beblos and God led us down to Tyre one day and we went down to Tyre to evangelize uh, and uh, I fell in love with the place uh, and, you know, Jesus was here a thousand years ago. He came to die. For the apostle was yeah. uh, This is the land of the gospel. So upper Galilee, this is where Jesus was. Going around and telling people about Jesus. And there is no lighthouse. It's dead. Uh, 95% Muslim. No light. Total darkness. I felt the Lord telling me go reclaim the land. percent uh, Where is the light? Uh, and uh, that's what God has called us for. And I think uh, in the last 50 to 60 years, meager efforts have been taken to reach the Muslim world to Christ. And I can understand why, because people are Islamophobic. Uh, Islam is violent it promotes violence uh, on different levels it depends on the circumstance and what's around it Uh, and uh, people are afraid Uh, but I do think that we have a weapon that is much greater than violence and can overcome violence and that is love. Most of the times we either want to love and not in, in, in sincerity. Or we want to say the truth and not love. Uh, I do believe that in evangelism, love and truth go together. If you love people without any reservation, unconditionally, sacrificially, you will be able to stand and say the truth to them. They will accept it from you because they know that you love them. If you don't love them and you want to say the truth, they're not going to accept it from you because they think you're a hypocrite. You're saying something and you're acting differently. Uh, What we do in Tire today is we love on people, Uh, we sacrifice. They see that we go not one mile, but three miles. They know that we love them. And so we can stand and say to them, we do not agree with you. We don't believe what you believe in is right. And that is why. And uh, there is a risk of us getting hurt. Yes. But who said that Preaching the gospel is without a cost. Uh, Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So this was a prophetic statement by Jesus. He, Before we even went out, he told us we're going to have problems. But he also told us that we're going to be victorious. We're serving empire and we know we're going to have the victory. It has been given unto you not only to believe but also to suffer if any man would come after me let him take up his cross deny himself take up his cross and follow me so it's clear in the Bible that when you evangelize when you tell people about Jesus you're gonna suffer Now, if God's grace does not permit that for a reason or another that's good My wife and I went down to Tyre and we counted the cost. She knew that we could die. And I knew that we could die. And we both knew that our children could be in jeopardy. But we also knew that the God who called us and the God who sent us, He will take care of us. He will protect us. And if the time comes and we have to be offered up for Him to be glorified, then we had no problem. That's what's the mindset that we went down to time with uh, there were times uh, they put me in prison because I clearly declared that Islam and Christianity are all the same and they don't lead to the same God and if you understand anything about Lebanon this is a no-no because you're rocking the boat everybody wants to live happy with each other in Lebanon And I stood on public TV in front of six million people and I said Islam is as far from Christianity as hell is far from heaven and that was enough to put me in prison they made a scheme about my past and they rolled me in but I knew that that was a cost I would pay Uh, before that they attacked our van they hit my wife they broke the glass of our van as my wife was taking back children from Sunday school so The cost is there. Uh, A few days ago, they broke our signs in in tire. Because one Muslim guy was converted, and he openly and publicly declared that I'm a Christian. So, to me, persecution is part of the game. And uh, any Christian who thinks he can avoid persecution, I think that is not possible. As you, we've said before, we are in the devil's den. You're attacking the fortress of the devil. The devil is not going to kiss you if you attack him. He's going to attack back. He's not stupid. He's smart. He knows that he cannot be uh, sitting and looking at you. And any time you try to avoid persecution, uh, you have to do it on the expense of the gospel. You will compromise your stand in order to avoid persecution. And I don't want to compromise I stand I don't want to compromise the gospel to avoid persecution many people under the pretext of wisdom say you know you have to be wise I don't know how wise you can be Uh, I don't think we can be more wise than Jesus Christ Uh, he came and he had to be persecuted and he had to die there was no other way and For the gospel to spread out, and for people to know the truth, we have to die.
3: Uh,
2: For the Muslim people to know Christ, we have to die. There has to be a line of monitors, I think, in the future, before these people understand that there's a God that loves them. If we're not ready to pay that cost, I don't think anything's going to happen. Sometime we have to pay that cost and I think for the hundred years that past we're postponing the payment But Christianity was spread in the first century church by the blood of the martyrs People died. That's how Christianity was spread. That's how we conquered Today in order to conquer we have to be ready to die uh, People ask me in churches What makes a good mission? And my answer is always are you ready to die if you're not ready to die pack it and go home don't be a missionary stay where you are you have to be ready to die to be a missionary and I think this was the life uh, theme of every mission successful mission they were ready to die for Jesus and so uh, my desire is uh, to see the church wake up and stop being complacent and uh, uh, realize that today it's open doors in the Middle East. Opposite of what CNN tells you on Fox News. Uh, they are uh, focusing on uh, few Americans being killed as if. Uh, This is the end of the world to them. Uh, And we categorize sin and we say, oh, wow, that's bad what's happening with ISIS in in the Middle East. Uh, But I want to ask a simple question. (coughs) Every single day in abortion clinics, you take babies and throw them in the dumpster. These are not humans, they're not dying what's the difference between a lady that takes a baby and throws him in the dumpster and an isis man who beheads a man in fact what did this infant have of a choice he had no choice you killed him the guys who died in, in in syria or beheaded they had a choice not to go they chose to take that adventure and that was the price for their adventure and so we categorize sin In order to excuse ourselves, it's bad in the Middle East, we can't go there because they kill people. They kill people in America. These people, they need us. They need us to love them. And love is intentional, it's not natural. It's not in our nature to love, we're selfish. We have to intend to love, we have to seek a way. To penetrate into their societies and love them. Just like what we're doing in time. We take every opportunity to show love. Every opportunity. Nobody knocks our door and gets out with nothing. Always they'll have something. Uh, Because this is love. Even sometimes at the expense of us getting alone to help people. I remember uh, three months ago I had a young man come to me he's a Muslim and he said "Uh, mr. Muhammad my wife is in the hospital and I need two hundred dollars to get her out would you help me I said no problem I went to the hospital paid the bill he got his wife out two days later he comes to me says mr. Muhammad do you have a big cross he said, Hassan, why do you need a big cross? He says, I want to hang it on my neck. And I want to tell my people that the God of the Christians helped me and your God did not help me. Mm-hmm. This gives God glory. You see, This is why we are there. To glorify God. To honor Him and lift Him up. That's why we are there. That's why we are in the world. To go the extra mile. Uh, I think people are tired of us telling them Jesus loves you they want to see how Jesus loves me show me how Jesus loves me you know Uh, I want to see how and I think we are very good at speaking the truth but not applying it Uh, and uh, we don't want to apply it we think that it's enough to tell people the gospel that's not true. Because this is not what Jesus did. And I remember the disciples, after Jesus finishing his intercourse with the multitude, uh, they said, Okay, chief, let's pack it, send them home. And Jesus said, Send them where? Home. These people are hungry, they want to eat. But you told them the message, you told them the gospel. Why should we feed them? Let them go home. And we are like the disciples today, we like to send people home. We don't want to get into the trouble of feeding them, taking care of them, and worrying about them. Uh, We're too busy. Uh, We are so entangled with the affairs of this world that we have no time to love anymore. We need to make time to love. We need to start realizing why Jesus left us on this earth. The reason we exist as Christians on this earth Is to shine. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are a people of good works. That's why we're here. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's Paul. This is from the Bible. I'm not making up this. The reason we are here is to live for Christ. Regardless of what is our profession. As a doctor, I'm here to live for Christ. As a pastor, I'm here to live for Christ. As a businessman, I'm here to live for Christ. In my profession, Christ has to be glorified and declared. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to accumulate wealth. I'm not here to earn degrees. I'm not here to do any of these things. Today in the Middle East, it's open doors. The Muslim world is in despair. The brothers are killing each other. Young people are helpless and hopeless. They are looking for an alternative. The alternative is not there because we are afraid. We need to start bringing the alternative home to them. We need to go. We need to start invading the Middle East with love, not with cruise missiles. We need to erect lighthouses for Jesus Christ. And that's what I am in. We started in Tyre. Now we're moving to Jordan. And to every place we can, we are going to erect a lighthouse for Jesus Christ. A door for people to enter in and know the love of God. That's my vision for the Middle East. And that vision I wanted to share with churches in America today. I I say to the churches in America, stop being complacent. Rise up to the challenge that God has placed in front of you today. Today, it's open doors. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no man will shut. And it's interesting that God set open doors in front of the church of Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia means brotherly love. It takes love to take advantage of open doors. No love, no open doors. I call on all brothers in America and churches to love the Muslims everywhere. Not to argue with them. Not to do apologetics or go into Islamics or try to find. Com- there is nothing common between us and them except that we're human and we have to get that message across to them. The thing that is common between us and any other person is that we are humans. We do not have the same faith and we do not lead to the same God. Our God is a living God, is a holy God, is a righteous God who loves all people. That's the message that we can get across. Uh, uh, Christianity has the, is the religion that has a message that no other religions have. Our message is love love unfolding from Genesis to Revelation it's the story of love how God loved men and worked throughout history to redeem men and how he's going to glorify men in eternity it's a story of love and that message no other religion in the world has that message What we find in other religions is do's and don'ts we do not find love and people cannot understand and comprehend love people cannot understand that God in human design came to earth to love us they cannot comprehend that and I I, I can understand why but this is why we're here to tell them that this is real and the best thing to tell people that this is real is what god has done in your life and to live that story and so my desire is that we see the urgency of the times these people in the middle east are calling us god uses the suffering of people and pain he opens doors through suffering and pain so we can enter their lives Today. The Syrian crisis has resulted in millions of refugees. In Lebanon, we have two and a half million refugees. And God is opening doors through them and with them. We've seen hundreds of them come to church and hear the gospel and get saved. What we need is laborers. We need laborers. We need people to support the work. We need people to stand by us in prayer. Uh, uh, containing Islam is not in the backyard in Chicago containing Islam is at the front line in the Middle East that's how we contain the antagonism and the violence and the hatred that's there we have to go there uh, at the expense of our lives sometimes but God is good I'm serving there and uh, it's six years now And Before that I used to evangelize and God has protected me. I am 49 years old I don't know when the Lord will call me home, but whenever he does he knows what he's doing and I want to be obedient obedient to that But I know also that before God calls me home. Nothing is going to happen. I Know that he has a hedge of protection around me and my family and at any time something happens It's for his glory. I know There is something for him to be glorified in. And for God to get the glory, I want to evangelize. Uh, I do believe that God is most glorified when we most evangelize. I think we've missed out on that. God is most glorified when we most evangelize. Not when we build mega churches. Not when we have beautiful concerts. But when we evangelize, we go out and tell people about that great message of love that no other religion in the world has, that could change and transform your life, and makes you a new person, and brings life into your life, wakes you up from the dead. And so I pray that this message will be heard and people will wake up to what is there. Thank you.
1: Amen. That's kind of what we've been talking about today. Sharing your faith, y'all. Going out. Being sent. Every group, whether it's a Muslim group or any other form of lifestyle, they need Jesus. They need you to love them. It's that hope that we have in Christ to go and to tell his story that he's done in and through us. So I'm going to close this, this time of worship and then I'll close this in prayer.